You may remain standing and read with us the passage of Scripture this morning, again, from Romans, I mean, not Romans, Numbers, old habit, uh, Numbers 1, 1 through 16. We're going to be reading the same passage as last week. Uh, just uh, bear with us and hear the Word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the tent of meeting, on the first day of the second month. In the second year, after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Take a census of all the congregation of the people of Israel, by clans, by fathers' houses, according to the number of names, every male, head, of head, head by head, from 20 years old and upward, all in Israel who are able to go to war. You and Aaron shall list them, company by company, and there shall be with you a man from each tribe, each man being the head of the house of his fathers, and, there, and these are the names of the men who shall assist you. From Reuben, Elazur, the son of Shedar. From Simeon, Shalumiel, the son of Zerushadai. From Judah, Nashon, the son of Aminadab. From Issachar, Nethanel, the son of Zuar. From Zebulon, Eliab, the son of Helon. From the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elishema, the son of Amahud, and from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. From Benjamin, Abaddon, the son of Gideoni. From Dan, Ahizir, the son of Amashadai. From Asher, Hajiel, the son of Akran. From Gad, Eliasaph, the son of Duel. From Naphtali, Ahara, the son of Enan. These were the ones chosen from the congregation, the chiefs of their ancestral tribes, the heads of the clans of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, uh, another, the same text as last week. Uh, we are going through the introductory messages to the book of Numbers. You'll see that uh, we have a census, a lot of numbers, a lot of names. And uh, again, this is uh, called Numbers. We talked about why it's called Numbers last time. We talked about the chiefs and the, the heads of the tribes and their names. And so we're looking at here uh, the second, as we said, intro series, our intro sermon in the series. Last week we selected the first word there, verse 1, the Lord, or uh, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, uh, the Tetragrammaton, the four-letter word for the name of God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. This is the personal covenant name of the Lord. It means I am that I am. He is who he is. He is not conditioned by us. He is uh, outside. He is infinite. He is outside of time and space. He is who he is and he will do what he says he will do. And we answered the question of how did the people know him? What clues do we have? And we look at the names of these uh, men listed uh, before us. Uh, most of the names speak to Yahweh's work and, his, and their delight in him, their joy in him. And so for a people who were enslaved for 430 years, uh, they weren't bitter uh, toward this Yahweh. They loved him. And felt a strong connection to him, as evidenced by the names there that tell the story of that. 
And so they did have revelation of him. They heard the covenant promises given to their forefather Abraham, which even predicted or, or decreed the slavery and their redemp redemption from it at the right time. So I'm going to say here that we have a lot in this text, uh, actually. And I'd say the biggest problem for Christians is not that we don't have enough revelation from God. The biggest problem for you and me is recognizing what is the voice of God and what is not the voice of God. As you see here, the Lord spoke to Moses. He spoke to Moses, unmistakably, right? For you, you don't have the Lord in your ear speaking like, he, like Moses did or however he did it. You don't have that. But you're not impoverished. Uh, you don't have uh, the same manner of revelation. But you have all kind of revelation. You've got lots of revelation about who God is. Your problem is not having enough about who God is from him, but hearing and recognizing what is the voice of God and what is not God's voice. That's our problem. Now, when you're speaking or hearing from God, listening carefully is important, right? You would imagine that. Listening to God, you ought to listen carefully if you're hearing from God. God's speaking, you ought to listen carefully. Imagine you're flying, right? A statement like that would be utter nonsense to a Hebrew in 1440 B.C. Um, as these people in the wilderness of Sinai would, would hear it, flying would be sort of a fantasy. But flying for you today is very much a normal part of your everyday existence, right? Some of you have flown across the country this week. Maybe you will fly next week. You're flying. It happens. You have a general understanding of how air flight works. You, perhaps as a young child, even before you were able to fly, could look up and see planes flying across the sky and leaving those trails in the sky. And you're seeing and imagining what that would be like to fly that high. You see birds flying. You see the, the, the airplanes doing what the birds do. And you get it. You've seen television programs, movies, videos that, that chronicle stories of air travel. You may actually know people who work in the military who fly or commercial pilots or those who work in the airline industry. You may have, in school, studied aerodynamics. You may have Googled flights and purchased tickets. You know about air flight and air travel, right? You know about flying. I would say that that's general revelation. That's the general things you can observe from your everyday existence. You know about air travel, which gets you true knowledge about flying, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just know those things to get from OKC to Jerusalem and Jerusalem and back to OKC. Uh, you need specific instruction. I'll never forget a few months ago, I was in an airport in Houston, and we were going to Tampa. It was a Southwest Airlines flight. And so we're lining up for the flight, and I could see this guy next to us. We're all in a clump there in our little bin of where we're supposed to be according to our boarding pass. And uh, the, the guy that was next to us uh, looked uh, very much like a regular traveler. He knew what he's doing. His bag... You know, pull bag behind him, and, and over the course of this conversation, we're waiting to get on the plane, he, we realized that he thinks he's going to Portland, but we're going to Tampa, and so it's like he, he, he figure, finally figures out we're not going to Portland. Without saying a word, he darts away from the line with his bag behind him on a mission. I guess he is so used to traveling in this airport or whatever that he just assumed this is the gate that's going to Portland. And he realizes too late probably that 
he's in the wrong place and likely missed his flight. You know, as you think about that, uh, Christians uh, might assume we hear from God correctly. We might assume we've heard it all or we know and then get into some pretty bad places where we uh, make a bad assumption and end up uh, lost, right? Uh, The flight was probably missed for this guy. Now, we saw last week those guys, the men, the men who were named here to be the chiefs, the ones to take the census, right? They're gonna, they need a military census. They need to know how many people they have. They'd all been named after this covenant God, this promise, right? They knew him, right? Now, they knew him. They knew him in several ways. They knew him through general stuff, right? They're made in his image. They're made in his world. They can see the evidence of God's attributes all around them. And that's good and fine, but they need special, specific revelation about what God's will is, what his purpose is, you know, because you can look at phenomenon and make assumptions, but you need specific gate information to get where you need to go. You need to know exactly where your flight is going to be located in order to get there. You need to know, you need to, like, listen to that carefully, and when you get in the airport, you look up on your device, you look on the screen, you find the screen to tell you where to go. When we're talking about general revelation, we can have right knowledge about who God is. We can have that revelation. But we really need specific, special revelation about his purposes and his will. Because God makes himself known in all things, but we need special revelation to know the will of God for salvation, to know what our purpose is. Now, you think about, uh, you know, your job, you know, general things about your job. You maybe have a degree for your job, but you need specific, unobservable knowledge if you're going to do your job effectively. You, 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 you can't ignore training for your job. Specific requests of the boss and company, uh, or you're going to get fired. You need specific information about how to do your job. General revelation will not do. If you're in a relationship, you might think, well, you know, all men are alike, or all women are alike, right? And to a degree, that is, that is true. Uh, men are, in general, much alike, and women are much, in general, alike. But, but you need special revelation uh, to understand uh, this person, uh, the particular needs of the person on a day and time and place, and how to serve that person moment to moment and care for that person. Uh, people do change, obviously. And special revelation is needed uh, from person to person in order to know how to love and serve another person. General revelation, just general knowledge about how men or women are, is not going to cut it. Uh, that, that woman or man that you're in a relationship will, will not, with will not appreciate such behavior, right? You need to listen to me. You need to, like, hear my special revelation to you. So when uh, a person you're in a relationship with speaks, uh, we should listen carefully. When our boss speaks, we should listen carefully. When we're at the airport, we should listen carefully to where the plane is. These are things that we, that we intuitively get. Uh, this past week, uh, the, the former Heisman winner, Tim Tebow, addressed a gathering of college students, a Christian gathering of college students in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and made the uh, speech uh, that this year we need to focus on what's really important, Christ not the game, not these other lesser things, but really focus on Christ and living 2023 for Christ. And, and my 
question is, well, yeah, that's a great message, but how do you do that? How do you listen to Christ? How do you focus on Christ? And I would say that if you're going to ask Jesus about that, what would he tell you to do? And he would say, listen to Moses. If you want to focus on Christ this year, nothing matters more than not getting excited, not getting pumped up, and, and, and feeling strongly about wanting to do this. It's actually listening to Moses. I think that might be a radical shift for many of us, right? To listen to Moses might be the best way you could focus on Christ. I mean, is that what you expected to hear? How to focus on Christ this year? How to really do that? When you think about what Jesus, how Jesus treated Moses, is how he treats God's own word. And with authority, Jesus says, you must listen to Moses. In Mark 1.44, it reads, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for proof to them. Now, this is in context of a healing. And he says, to show that you're healed of leprosy, offer what Moses commanded. You think about that. Jesus values what Moses commanded. Uh, Mark 7.10, for Moses said, this is Jesus, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother most surely die. How do you know what's right? Listen to what Moses said. Mark 7.10, Mark 12.26, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, Exodus 3, how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham and God of Isaac and God of Jacob? You want to know what uh, resurrection is about? Listen to Moses. Moses got a lot to say. Why are you discounting Moses? Matthew 23. Then Jesus said to the crowds and disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on Moses' seat. They, they sit and teach his law. So do and observe whatever they tell you. But do not do the works that they do. Listen to what they say about Moses and what he says. But don't do what they do. Do what Moses says, not what they do. And, and before Jesus could tell you what he wanted you to do, Listen to this, in Luke 2, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they, being Mary and Joseph, brought Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Before he was even able to tell you, hey, go listen to what Moses said, his parents are doing it for him. Hey, listen to what Moses said. All right, Luke 24, 27, after the resurrection, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, says, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, all the scripture, the things concerning himself. If you want to focus on Christ this year, focus on what Moses said. That's what he says, says to them on the road to Emmaus. Uh, and then when he gets to the uh, upper room, the disciples are gathered, Luke 24, 44, it says, Then Jesus said to them, there are, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was with, still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. You want to know what Jesus is driving toward? Go listen to what Moses had to say. All right? Very interesting, right? Now, people recognized Jesus based on the law of Moses. Now, some people didn't, but listen to what Philip said. Philip found Nathaniel in John 1.45, and he says, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Philip identifies Jesus because of what Moses wrote. He listened, he heard, and he said, that's the Messiah. That's the one. 
Now, there is some, discon- there is some sin- interesting stuff here. There are interesting uh, shifts. In John 1, 17, it says that the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So this law must be fulfilled with grace and truth in Jesus Christ. The whole thing is driving toward Jesus. Disciples recognize Jesus because they listen to Moses. We recognize grace and truth because we know the law given through Moses. The next step is grace and truth. You know, we really need to listen to Moses. You really need to listen to Moses. And you should. They needed to do it. Question is, will we listen to Moses? Uh, you know, you might know God, you might have somehow comprehended things about Him, but to really know Him, you have to listen to Moses, because it says in Numbers one one, the Lord spoke to Moses. And if it's about God, it's important. If it's about God, it's important. You have to listen to Moses, because that's who God spoke to. He didn't speak to you. He spoke to Moses. Moses is the guy you need to go and talk to. You need to listen to what Moses has to say. The information is available through Moses. You go to him. That's what Jesus is saying. An infinite God makes himself known to a finite, sinful person named Moses. And Moses is to share what the infinite, eternal, living, and true God has said. Now, Again, general revelation, all these people knew who God was, but they didn't know what his purpose was. They didn't know his plan for salvation. They didn't know about Jesus by looking at the world around them or looking at themselves. They had to listen to Moses. Moses is the answer. Moses was the spokesman from God. He is their brother, yet he is their mediator. He stands before them and he listens to Yahweh, the eternal God, their creator, and tells them what God says. That's who Moses was. You've got to understand that. That is a huge burden to carry, right? You're the mediator between God and all of his people, right? That's a huge responsibility, and that's something we need to listen to. Moses was not only a mediator of God's special revelation. He was the type of a greater mediator. Jesus Christ. We should therefore listen to him regarding what he says and look at what he does because he is telling us who Jesus is. That's how Philip and Nathaniel said, that's him. In John 3.14 it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That lifting up the serpent in the wilderness we'll hear about in Numbers He says, if you know that, you know that Jesus must be lifted up. Why? To pay for your sins, to pay for your rebellion, to pay for your your rebellion against the mediator, against God. In Genesis, we see that God spoke all of creation into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. Over and over again, he speaks. God speaks. He communicates. He's not removed from this world. He's not in this world, wrapped up in it. He is distinct from this world his creation, but he speaks into this creation. He's transcendent above it, but he's imminent in it. He speaks in it. He's not in the creation in that he is the same as the creation. He's not created, but he's also not so far removed from it that we can't know him or hear from him. We can truly apprehend who he is because he reveals who he is through a mediator. He speaks to us. That's awesome. 
like we said earlier, everyone can see him by general revelation. Paul makes this point in Romans 1.18. It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Guys, we have enough revelation, tons of it, about God's existence. Everyone knows God exists. Whether or not they admit it or not, and they suppress that knowledge. Now, before the fall of mankind, there was no revelation of his wrath. Now God is scary to us because we are sinners and we know his wrath. This has been revealed in the things that we experience in the curse. So you see uh, Genesis 3, 17 through 19 where he talks about by the sweat of your brow you will bring forth thorns and thistles. Work is going to be hard. Childbearing is going to be hard. Marriage is going to be hard. All of these things are going to be difficult, right? It's going to be frustrating. Right? And it says, to dust you will return. From dust you were made, now dust you will return to. You're going to die. Work is going to be difficult, less fruitful than it ought to be. And, it's, and it's, our marriage is going to be difficult. Childbearing is going to be difficult. Raising kids is going to be difficult. And, and then we're all going to die and go back to dust. You see the wrath of God revealed against sin in our everyday existence. And I, I'm so disappointed that I don't see that message loud and clear every day because it's everywhere his wrath on sin is everywhere I need to be better at recognizing it and hearing it and not numbing myself to it the clear eyed the full heart of the wrath of God it's everywhere now if you know Jesus you have what you need to hear this if you don't have Jesus you have a veil over your face and you can't hear it but it is clear. Listen to what Hebrews uh, 1 and 2, uh, 1, 1 and 2 says. It says, long ago, like when Moses was there, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And in verse 2 of Hebrews 1, it says, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So if you have the son, you have the missing puzzle piece. If you're united to Christ, if you know Jesus, if you trust in him for salvation, you have the puzzle piece that's missing to hear Moses and to listen to him. In John 9, 28, the Pharisees reviled, uh, reviled him saying, this is the man who was born blind, who's been healed. It says to that man, they say, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. You know what that man said? Hey, all I know is I was once blind, but now I see. Okay, he surpasses Moses. Now, God spoke through Moses, but he speaks clearly through Christ. And who does Christ say? Go, go talk to Moses. You can't understand Moses unless you see that he's fulfilled in Christ. If you know Jesus, you have some confidence to actually read the Old Testament and to learn of Christ. You can see Christ in it. You really can. The best thing to do is start reading it. You'll start seeing Christ. Start talking about it with your family, with your spouse, with your children, with your neighbors, with your church brothers and sisters. You will see Christ in it, and you will love him more. Hebrews 2, 3 says, 
how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord in the scriptures. It says, and it was attested to us by those who heard, the apostles. And God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles like that guy being healed and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So in the culmination, the final revelation of God, we have enough, it's in Jesus, to know him and know salvation, know our sins, know where help is to be found in Christ alone. We have it. The signs and wonders were there to show us that this revelation is from God and is final. The reason that these signs and wonders were given is to test and confirm this is a spokesman. You don't see signs and wonders throughout history. You see them a lot around Moses. You see them a lot around Elijah and Elisha. You see them with Jesus and the apostles. You don't see them throughout history. They speak to the reality of God's revelation of who Jesus is. That's what those signs and wonders are for. Ultimately, the signs and wonders are pointing to what Jesus is going to culminate in his great return and restoring of the creation, the new creation, the fullness of it. So that's the great miracle. These signs and wonders are just small. People being born blind and healed, small, small potatoes compared to what we, look, we have ahead of us. Forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God, and full life and no death. That's big time. Man being healed blind, or healed from being born blind, that's small. That's a, that's a signpost pointing to the greater reality. Now, Paul and the apostles said, this is it. Moses delivered these customs to us, but they spoke about Jesus. They spoke about him. And, and, um, and Jesus, it says uh, in um, John 6, 32, he says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So we're not destroying Moses. We're fulfilling Moses, and we're honoring what Moses said when we say, this is Jesus. The bread coming down from heaven in the wilderness is Jesus. That's the fulfillment. And Jesus also says in John 5, 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hopes, speaking to these Pharisees. It says, for you, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Moses is writing of me. Now, did he know all that he was saying? Probably not. He didn't understand all the details of what he was saying. But he was writing under God's supervision to teach us. The Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai that we might learn Christ. Let me read to you Romans 10, 4. It says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Listen to this. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. He is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? That's to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That's to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For if with, or for the, how, with the heart one believes and is justified, and the mouth one confesses and is saved. So he says, the end of the law 
his righteousness for you through faith. For everyone who believes, you will be saved. The law that Moses writes about is fulfilled in the person who does them. Jesus does them. On the cross, this Jesus whom Moses spoke of says, it is finished. It is finished. What is finished? The righteousness of the law has been accomplished in Christ. He has actively, from day one, kept the law of Moses. He loves the law of Moses. He destroys the money changers because they're breaking the law of Moses. He keeps the law of Moses. He loves the law of Moses. This is driving him and guiding him. He fulfills the law of Moses for, your, for his people. He loves you. God doesn't change. His love for you never changes because that's who he is, and he sends Jesus to make it right between him and you. And he fulfills it. He says, it is finished. Then you know what he does? His active work is finished. What does he do then? He cries out. He breathes his last. He gives up his spirit, commits it in the hands of the Father. Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. And then he is laid in a tomb. He is laid in a grave. He's taken from a cross and placed in a tomb to fully go down to the depths, to go to the earth, to go to dust, to go to the tomb, to bear the thorns and the curse that Genesis 3 says would be upon us, that he might be justified, lifted up, risen on the third day for our salvation. That's why faith saves, because Jesus went to the cross, descended that he might lift us up, because what we are in faith is what Jesus is. If he is risen, then we are risen. Moses saw this, hoped in him, and considered the riches of Egypt nothing in comparison to it. If you want to focus on Christ, you want to really get close to, to Christ this year, focus on Moses, actually. Focus on him. In Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, which I will not read because it is lengthy, he spends most of the time in the sermon preaching Moses. When he wants to talk about the risen Christ and why he is defying the Jewish leaders, it's because of Moses' witness to Christ. As you consider that, uh, what Christ is doing at the cross and his resurrection is paying the justice that we have merited for our sins, right? He's paying the justice we've merited for our sins. He listened to what the Father said and did everything. So when you consider that, in Hebrews 10, 28, it says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Listen to that again. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Jesus was dying without mercy on the evidence of the whole creation against you and me, all of us. He died really judicially for me to pay for everything I'd done against God's law and Moses and his witnesses to it. He was innocent that he might die for us. Hebrews 10, 28 says, anyone who says the law of Moses, set it aside. I don't care about it. Dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Then it says in 29, Hebrews 10, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. Think about that. You, 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 but you trample Jesus, you outrage the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace. Oh, he's the grace spirit. How are we going to outrage that guy? He's full of grace. 
the one thing you can do to kill the spirit of grace and really grieve him, take Jesus not seriously. Trample him underfoot. Curse Jesus. Now, the law is very important because it's fulfilled in Christ. Christ is a film of the law. He's very important. He fulfills Moses' words. I'll tell you this. You need this. I don't, like, I don't take a lot of delight in saying, if you disobey Jesus, you are going to die a thousand deaths in hell and be condemned because that's what you deserve. But I think this understanding of the law gives me some measure of contentment and peace. Let me give you an example. My family and I were, uh, it was recommended to us when we were in Washington, D.C. to go visit the Holocaust Museum. And after several hours of beatdown of just seeing all the evidence of this Holocaust and the destruction of people and the, and the bodies piled on top of bodies and the bones and the shoes of all the victims of this and the, and the evil that was inflicted upon people unjustly and, merciless, and mercilessly and evil, how do you end that? gift shop in a cafe that's what we had light a candle <laughs> that's it that's all we got that's all we got that's all we're given man a beat down three years that's really uh, three hours of just horrible injustice and evil let's now let's go back to our regular lives they did a great job don't get me wrong of, of portraying what exactly happened but they don't give you any justice. They don't, there's no justice. In Christ, there is justice. That's what the law teaches you. There is real justice for all the sins. It's either going to be on Christ, really and truly, dying for the, in, the, in the face of witnesses, saying he is condemned, an unmerciful death for sin, or there's going to be life because Jesus, his death was yours by faith. Which one will you choose? There will be justice for every one of the unjust, unjust, evil actions committed against the people in the Holocaust. There will be justice for everything. It will be either in Christ or on every, every perpetrator. We know that. There's a peace and contentment that you can have. There is also a sadness that comes with that. There's an there's a, there's a appeal to the Lord to save and to bring people out of this. And to tell them about that there is justice and, and grace in Christ alone. There's grace and truth in him alone. There's salvation to be had for anyone who will take it and receive it. If the veil's been removed, reach out and grab it. Focus on Christ. Love him. Study him. If you know Christ, go and read Numbers. Go and read the Old Testament. That's where Jesus says you'll find him. You'll love him in that. 